1: This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com writingexcuses. Season 12, Episode 5.
0: This is Writing Excuses Literary Fiction.
2: Fifteen minutes long, because you're in a hurry.
0: And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm
2: Mary. I'm Marianne.
0: And I'm Wesley. And I figured since we have someone with a PhD in creative <laughs> writing on the podcast showing us all up, we would ask Marianne to talk with us about writing literary fiction.
2: So I have a little bit of a problem with the term literary fiction, and Uh-oh. I I always have. So because I think it, I I think of literary as a modifier. That can be applied to mainstream fiction. It can be applied to science fiction and fantasy. I absolutely think there is literary science fiction, literary fantasy. Um, so I tend to use mainstream fiction for the well, that non-genre is a version.
0: very reasonable way to look at it. Yes. <laughs> My goodness.
2: It works yeah. very well. So like, how, do you, how
0: do you define literary fiction?
2: Well, I then? looked up the word literary. So the definition— that I think is a pretty good one, concerning the writing, study, or content of literature, especially of the kind valued for quality of form. And I think that quality of form is important. Or um, another secondary definition associated with literary works or other formal writing, having a marked style intended to create a particular emotional effect. And I think that marked style is also worth paying attention to. And I don't know that I think either of those definitions is complete, but they're good starting points. I think literary... Writers who are trying to be literary are paying attention to language, form, structure. Um, it's important to them.
1: So, authors for me it would be uh, Ursula Le Guin.
2: So, in genre, definitely Ursula K. Le Guin obviously pays attention to that. In K. Um, K. Jemison. In K. Jemison, I did my bachelor's thesis on Samuel Delaney. I think he's also. one of the masters. Um, so, I, I actually think most of them are paying some attention. It's, it's perhaps a question of emphasis. Like for some writers, maybe that's not the most important thing for them. Um, they are more engaged with, I don't know. But yeah, we, with, um, well, we'll talk about that.
0: Yeah. Um, before we get into the, kind of those specifics, though, I wanted to mention this kind of schism that exists between – What the popular fiction and the literary fiction or the mainstream fiction, as you would define it, Um, and kind of there's some sort of antagonism there. Do you have any thoughts on that?
2: (laughs) So, and again, I think we get these terms can be a little slippery, right? Because so there's mainstream fiction, there's popular fiction, there's commercial fiction fiction. Those all mean somewhat different things, I think. So, because something can be a mainstream non-genre work without necessarily aiming towards a broad commercial market. Okay. Right? So, um, I would say, like, for example, if you look at a lot of the small press works that are trying to do literary fiction, they're often not trying to be commercial, right? Um, Why are they
3: called mainstream, then?
2: Well... They're called mainstream because they are non-genre. So, yeah, got, and then we've if you've got to have
0: terms and yeah. definitions, and, and if you're getting
2: into genre, then it's a question of well, what is genre? Genre mm-hmm. is, you know, a set of tropes that um, that the readers are going to be familiar with, and then we can start getting into things like um, archetypes, mm-hmm. right? And the way that genre often uses archetypes um, and plays with them, and is is almost reliant. Genre is almost reliant on the readers being familiar with those uh, in a way that mainstream fiction doesn't. Right.
0: Um, and I mentioned this kind of this little bit of division. I say little bit. It, it can be pr- very passionate at times. I went through a uh, graduate program in creative writing, uh, and many of my professors would say, you cannot write science fiction or fantasy in these classes, which was a bit like a smack to the face to me. They're like, you cannot write what is your identity and your passion in this class,
2: can and I defend them slightly? Yes,
0: I, 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 yeah, go for it.
2: Just, just as a tiny defense, and I, I have great sympathy for this because mm-hmm. I went through the same thing in my master's program. My advisor was like, "I don't want to read your science fiction fantasy," and I said, "Why?" And she said, "Well, I don't read it. I don't know how to critique it." So, the, so as a first thing, I said to her, "That's fine." critique my character, my plot, my structure, critique the aspects of it that you can, ignore the science fiction and fantasy part. And she actually, to her credit, was willing to do that, and we were able to work together. So that was great. And
0: I've heard that one before, and I I feel sympathy for that.
2: But then the other thing I would say in defense is, and this is going to sound bad, but I can't think of a better way to put it, I do find that my students um, who are – just starting to write science fiction and fantasy are often writing really formulaic, really derivative work. And I think that is, and it's I think it's a really natural first step. You love the tropes. You love the wizard, the dragon, the whatever else. And you want to cram them in there. Um, but I think that's what the mainstream lit teachers okay. are responding to. I okay? mean,
3: I, I've always viewed it as they look down upon genre.
2: But they don't look down upon genre that is done really well they they actually love yep. some of it
1: yeah although they do tend to to then classify that as they, literary or rec- experimental they, re- they do they're, they're,
2: they reclassify but, it it's and, true. and
1: it's not this is this is a, a thing that we see all over the place like with puppetry we get people who are like oh i don't want to see a puppet show but i'll totally watch avenue q i'm like that's a puppet show well, I, I won't watch. I will watch a
0: puppet show, but I'll go to uh, to Return of the Jedi.
1: Yeah, and I'm like, uh, big old puppet show, <laughs> yeah. big old puppet show. Mm-hmm. So, um, so one of the things that I was actually hoping I could get you to talk about a little bit is a story that you told us during one of the breaks about uh, an experience that you had, where you were writing science fiction and told that your literary fiction was better. Yes can and and it seems like it circles around exactly that point no, that you were just talking I about. I think I
2: think that's actually right. I think I fell into the same thing that students often fall into. So this is during my MFA program, halfway through it, I went to do Clarion and I was so excited. I was at Clarion West in 97 and I took um, a one week four was taught by two editors from Tor and they had read the stories I'd submitted so far which were Kind of borderline slipstreamy stories, uh, and they said to me, "You know, we just think that your mainstream writer is much m- mainstream writing is much better than your genre writing, and we think your heart is really with mainstream lit." And I went back to my room and I cried because um, all I wanted was to be a science fiction fantasy writer. Uh, and but they that actually, I kind of went home and I was like, "All right, I'm going to do mainstream lit," and I wrote that for ten years. And I think I needed to, just for me personally, because at that point in 97, when I tried to write genre, I wrote the most generic dragons and the most generic wizards. It really was like a bad copy of a bad copy of a bad copy of but, Tolkien. But,
3: but don't we all start out that way? You know, I mean, when, when, I mean, when we're—I'm we're, I'm sure every writer at one point is, you know, we write what we read, what we know, and we start, we start out with dragons and, and, you know, magical swords and everything— and I guess
0: the, the question. But the that tropes about are that... so
2: powerful. I think this is like but, I, at least I, and I think a lot of my students run into more trouble when we try to do genre.
0: I do. I want to cut and yeah. cap this because I really want to get into how what we can learn from mm-hmm. literary fiction. I don't want to spend the whole podcast discussing this. And I think those listening can have arguments about this, but that's not what we're doing mm-hmm. right now. We we want to learn from Marianne. Um, and take some of this and make our writing better because I sincerely believe we can learn from literary fiction. I think it is trying to do something different. I don't think what we do is less valuable or valid. And it's the, it's the making that this is good, this is bad that I don't like. But what I do like is saying, look, we are trying something, and it's really cool. And we are trying something that's really cool. What can we learn from each other? So
1: let's talk about that. I, I completely agree with that. And part of an- – part of why I'm like, yes, tell us all of your tricks, um, is I had a a student in one of my short story intensives, and I'm a science fiction and fantasy writer. My workshops are geared towards science fiction and fantasy writers. Most of my students are. And I had this one student who was a literary writer. She's been published and has never read science fiction or fantasy before. And she brought this... um, sense of place to her fiction that was unlike anything that I was getting out of the other students. And one of the things that she said was that she tended to approach her settings as a character, which was not something that I do. And so there were these scenes that to me felt like, well, when are we going to get to the character and the conflict? But the character was the setting. And once I kind of understood that that's what was happening, I started to see ways that that could be applied to other types of fiction and that I had seen that in science fiction and fantasy. But not been able to to put a finger on, oh, that's what's happening right here, and that's why this is working.
0: Yeah. That is and very cool. Mm-hmm. That is super cool. I've had students like that, too, that just bring something fresh and interesting. And I we don't have time in one podcast to cover the depth that is literary fiction. But I was hoping to get a few pointers on where to start. Yes. And perhaps we can start with some recommendations you have including our Book of the Week and any other books, you think that a writer is like, yeah, I want to learn some of this. Who are the masters, in your opinion, of genre literary fiction?
2: So I was, I've was i been thinking about, it's very hard to choose. My favorite uh, author probably is Samuel Delaney. I did my bachelor's thesis on him. I love his work. Um, Dahlgren is a tour de force, and and it is very experimental. When you open the book, the first paragraph starts – to wound the autumnal city, so howled out in the in-dark answered with wind. All you know, I know. I mean, it doesn't look like prose. It looks like a poem, right? Um, but it's in paragraphs, and as you go into it, there are characters, and there is this city. There's a setting that you are struggling with, this this dystopian world. Um, and it's just, it's stunning. Um, it's a kind of a big, dense book. If you want to dip into something smaller, he has excellent short stories, excellent short novels. Um, Dahlgren is kind of the capstone of his early career. So that's my okay. main recommendation. But I also, I because we are recording this in December 2016, I also have to Mentioned that we've just had an election, and The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood Atwood is feeling very timely right now. And she's one of those authors who is usually thought of as a mainstream lit person, but she wrote this dystopian novel, which was made into a movie, which is also excellent, um, mm-hmm. where the United States has been taken over by a fundamentalist Christian sect, and women have lost basically all of their rights, including the right to read. Um, so—
0: and if you want to see some interesting uh, parallels between the conversations we're having here, Ursula Le Guin and Margaret Atwood have had dialogues and discourses and interviews with one another, as Ursula Le Guin is a genre writer with literary styling, and Margaret Atwood is a mainstream writer, literary writer, with some genre influences. And the two of them have discussed the differences and their definitions and things.
2: Right. And Le Guin, for, I'm pretty sure she's been published in The New Yorker. So she yes. crosses over, George Saunders crosses over, Michael Chabon crosses over, right? There are these people who mm-hmm. show up in both.
0: So other than reading literary fiction, can you define for us And I don't know if this is possible, but what it is that someone who's reading literary fiction is looking for What are they trying to
2: taste? So this actually gets back, I think, to this idea of things being commercial, popular, derivative. Like, okay, so when I go to a bookstore and I see a dragon on the cover, I want to buy the book, right? Because it is something familiar that I know I love, and I just—and in fact, I at one point— picked up one dragon book in an airport, started reading it, got like three-quarters of the way through and realized I had read it before, but I hadn't realized it because they were so— it was such the standard box of here is a dragon story. And I think that is kind of in opposition to what literary fiction is trying to do, which is mostly to try and pay attention to some aspect of the craft and do something new do something interesting. Maybe that's going to be about character or style or form. It could be if you are trying to push one of those boundaries, I think you are doing literary work. So one of the things that
1: um, uh, someone said to me who, who reads primarily uh, literary fiction said that what she was looking for when she picked up literary fiction was a, a book that made her work mm-hmm. and that challenged her. Uh, and that that reshaped the way she thought, yeah. which was interesting because in for me in science fiction and fantasy prose, what we would talk about so often is having effortless prose that someone does not have to work to to follow what's going on. That they that you know we do are looking for the, the, those moments of changing the way we think, but we aren't looking for them. With to, the prose specifically. specifically yes. And, you this know, I goes. had a
0: professor who once described the difference between the two as, um, using my windowpane metaphor, he said, literary, the windowpane is a beautiful work of art in itself. It is a stained glass window that, yes, you can see the story through it, but the way— the stained glass window changes what's on the other side, and where the way you change perspective to see what's out there is a huge part of the experience. Not every literary fiction is trying to do this specific thing, but that's one way to look at it, whereas a lot of genre fiction or genre – I'm using the wrong terms – a lot yeah. of commercial fiction – um, popular fiction, whatever, right. is trying to make that windowpane as invisible as possible.
2: And I want to talk about Boujold in this context mm-hmm. because I, I find her fascinating, and I would love to be able to write like her. I feel like the Miles of Corsican books are windowpane fiction. She's not trying to do any literary pyrotechnics, nothing fancy in terms of the prose, but she is reaching kind of a height. I mean, there's a reason why her work wins award after award after award, right? She's writing— Popular commercial work that is incredibly emotionally true, resonant. The characters are very alive. Um, So there's, I think of her as an exemplar of what popular fiction can achieve.
0: This is why I love uh, Nora Jemison, Mm N.K. Jemison, um, because I feel like some writers like her, Um, Pat Rothfuss, to an extent, though I think he's on the popular side, borrowing some, and I think she's on the literary side, approaching. Um, doing more conventional some, some things. But with, when you look at it, it's the sort of thing that you're just enjoying the story. But occasionally you stop and say, wait. And then you go read the paragraphs again and you say, oh, wow. Like there's these people who can are chameleon. They can do both mm-hmm. at the same time. Tolkien was actually like this. If you read mm-hmm. Tolkien out loud, Tolkien is just this beautiful lyrical poetic work of art, but it's also about stealing a cup from a dragon and all of these things that is really cool from a genre standpoint. And so there's some who do this.
2: Le Guin points out in Steering the Craft, there's this one tiny little piece in Tolkien where the hobbits are going on their adventure and he slips for a moment into the point of view of a fox. Mm -hmm. And he gives you this um, little bit of the fox looking at the hobbits and then going back to his own business. And it's this beautiful... Moment of indirect narration that he just you know you know that he could do he could do all the fancy stuff if he wanted to, and he's choosing not to right? I mean,
3: there's a there's a more recent work uh, helene wecker's uh, the Golem and the Gin oh beautiful i mean it's it, it's a, it's basically it's categorized as a literary book almost but it's really a really sweet story about this golem and this djinn and this friendship that they have, so it's completely genre, but it's written in a style that is completely literary
1: you know i, I I – that also puts me in mind of, of Joe Walton, who I think is another person who's, yeah. who's very much – and one of the things about Joe, aside from, from just the, the lyrical be- beauty of her prose, is that a lot of her books are really thought experiments. Mm-hmm. It's like what would happen if someone actually tried to set up Plato's Republic? And that they are...
2: Cory Doctorow, too. Yeah, yeah, likewise. Yeah.
0: Cory does a lot of this stuff. I mean, in a
2: very political way, but yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it here, but I will use my, <laughs> um, my powers as director to add just a, a little footnote at the end. Um, it is okay to embrace your style of writing. I am a window pane writer. I can enjoy stained glass window writers, but for me, I have stylistically chosen... A certain thing. and I want to do it really well. And the thing that Marianne said that I really love is that, and I think some professors lose sight of this, is that you can challenge with more than just the prose. You can challenge, as Kurt Vonnegut did, with the the themes. You can challenge. You can take your genre, and you're like, I want to write dragon books. I want to write really fun dragon books. I want to write them in a way that stands out that you can push in that direction. You can learn from literary fiction how to do that better, I feel. Um, this is not—we don't have to be antagonistic, as we so often are. I think we can all learn from each other a lot better. Um, and I'm really glad and excited to have you on the podcast this season, Marianne, because I really feel like you're somebody who has been in both camps and can, like, you know, cross the aisle, right, um, in a way that's going to be really good for our listeners. Um, I'm going to let Wes, because he didn't get to talk as much on this one. Uh, sorry, sorry, Wes. I'm not literary. I'm not either, so it's okay. Um, let's go ahead and let you give us a writing prompt. Okay, so I actually read this on the website yesterday. It creeped me out. So here it is. You
3: drive your spouse to the airport and watch her fly away on a business trip. Then you drive home, go back to your house, and find her working
0: on the computer. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write.
1: Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson.